Well, thank you for praying together. Let's take our Bibles out now and turn together to Psalm 13. Let's take our Bibles and turn together to Psalm 13. And I want you to go ahead, if you can, and mark uh, Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to conclude this evening with a closing verse from Hebrews chapter 2. And I would love for you to be able to turn there with me. So I want to go ahead and tell you about it. Hebrews chapter 2. So turn there with me, if you will. Psalm 13. We are spending our summer months, these midweek times together, studying through the Psalms. It's been an enriching and fruitful time together. As we come to Psalm 13, the title of tonight's uh, message is, How Long, O Lord? How Long? These are classic words that we often ask when there is something that we are experiencing or going through that we don't like. Uh, a season of difficulty, a chapter of discouragement, a, a scenario or a circumstance that, quite frankly, we just want to get out of. It, it, it is something that is tormenting the psyche, the soul. It's weighty. It's heavy. Well, where, where does the Christian turn to when we experience those types of seasons of torment or distress or, man, the adjectives we could, we could give a long list, but I think you get the idea. Just unpleasant trials loss, pain, grief, torment, even to the point of, of psychological, spiritual torment of the soul. Is, is, the Christianity, is, is Christianity a faith that speaks to that? Does the Christian faith have anywhere in that book called the Bible uh, the scriptures that we can turn to that would give articulation to the saint, to the pilgrim, to the disciple? Well, I'm glad to tell you tonight that that answer is yes. And it's Psalm 13. So let's turn there together and we'll read the, the psalm. It's just six verses. We'll read it in its entirety and then by God's grace we'll walk through it together uh, this evening. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Verse 3, Consider, O God, and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Well, this is God's word. As we look into Psalm 13, we find afresh and anew again that this is a psalm of lament. And a psalm of lament gives expression to the dark night of the soul. Many believers, when it comes to a psalm of lament in the Christian life, if they are untested, Untried, maybe new in the faith, a psalm of lament or the language of a psalm of lament makes them uncomfortable. So as we approach some of these psalms that begin to ask the Lord, How long, O Lord? With emotion, with, with great lament, for lack of better words, that's what type of psalm this is. Many believers are uncomfortable. And so when, they're, when their brother or sister in Christ is going through a dark night of the soul, and they come to a brother or sister for counsel. Maybe they have a, a face that is for, Lord. They are, they are downhearted. They are downcast. It's visible. They're not able to, 
to say, I'm good, when they're not good. Well, but that makes some Christians, uh, believers, disciples, uncomfortable. And so there's many reasons for that. We can understand that there's a, a self-help kind of culture today that it's not evil. We, we're not going to say that. But kind of the, the modern psyche of American culture is just uh, be positive. Try harder. Do more. You, you affect your attitude. And while many of those things are true, there, there's no doubt about that, this is more than Pollyannaism. There are trials and seasons of trial that God sovereignly allows his people to experience and to go through. And the answer, brothers and sisters, as we disciple one another, is, is not so with a quick off-the-cuff, just smile. But we could ask this question, does the Christian have a lot to smile about? Yes. Does the Christian have a lot to, to hope about? Absolutely. But what we're trying to make a point with here tonight is when you come to Psalm 13, there's expression that's given to why God and where are you, God? And so to believers who are uncomfortable with lament, we need to be reminded that one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. One-third. What are the psalms? The psalms are the songbook of God's people, the songbook of Israel, historically and even today. Uh, one study showed this, that in the modern church, not just the American church, but just in the modern church, that 2% of our songs are actually given over to any type of minor chord or lament. Uh, the, not, not, don't actually look into the minor chord aspect. Minor chord being a, a euphemism, a parallel to a, to a song of lament. And that might include a minor chord. If you come into a modern church today to hear that type of song, because of our American mindset, would be like, whoa, I'm, I need to be cheered up. I need to be happy. And so that's not helping me uh, to give expression to those types of things. So one response to a psalm of lament is just simply being uncomfortable. And I want to make a comment here before we move to the next one. Is believer, if you find yourself there, please hear the blunt truth of a brother in Christ here this morning. You are probably also a very shallow Christian as well. And I don't mean to say that to be harsh or whatever. It's just because you've not experienced some type of trial that would cause you to lament, do not be harsh or, or, or crass or for whatever, to your brother or sister in Christ who may be going through that dark night of the soul. And that leads us to the second thing. Many believers are uncomfortable, just by way of introduction, but many believers then discover lament by God's providence. They are allowed to go through it. They are allowed to go through a dark night of the soul, a trial, a personal experience that blindsides them out of nowhere, and, and all of a sudden they discover, they come upon it. And when they come upon it, or when they are allowed to go through it, that's when they want to know, where is God's word speaking to me? Well, look no further than Psalm, Psalm 13. And I would simply say this, to lament, verb, to lament is distinctly Christian. To lament is distinct, distinctly Christian. In fact, the Christian faith gives articulation to something that only God can come up with, which is simply this. Listen, when you come to Yahweh, when you come to the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh will not necessarily keep you from experiencing pain and heartache and trial, abandonment, all those types of feelings that we experience. But what we do have in Yahweh is that He redeems all of it. Romans 8, 28, He redeems 
every brokenness for the Christian. He redeems every cancer for the Christian. He redeems every trial, every circumstance. And that is how we can go to the, the depths of the bottom of the Mariana Trench, so to speak, spiritually, which is supposed to be the lowest part of the earth, and then be raised up again to the heavenly heights. A Christian is a strange creature. A Christian is a strange thing. We experience so many things that everybody else experiences. And we can be in the, the gutter, we can be in some of the lowest places, but instead of turning to drugs and alcohol and other addictive habits and substances, the Christian turns to God and His grace. And the Christian tastes and see of the, sees of the goodness of the Lord. And so if you're looking for a, just a brief definition to help us before we jump into Psalm 13, one definition I came across was simply this, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament, a lament, L-A-M-E-N-T, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. In the basic structure, as we take all of the Psalms of lament and put them together, is very briefly this. Number one, in your pain, turn to God in prayer. This is what makes the Christian different than everyone else. Our pain should not, does not, turn us away from God. It turns us to God and running to God. So in number one, in your pain, turn to God in prayer. Secondly, speak to God. Lay out your complaint to Him. Thirdly, ask God boldly. And then fourthly, trust God. That is the basic structure. When you take all of the Psalms together, these Psalms of lament, songs that Israel has sung, songs that God's people have sung, songs that the, the apostles who were imprisoned and God's people who were tortured. I have no doubt that in the first century, in the early church, as God's people were preparing for martyrdom in prison, preparing to go to the, um, the arena, to the Colosseum in Rome, to be fed to wild beasts or to be beheaded or to be the subjects of, of just the end of the sword, they were, they were singing psalms like Psalm 13 or rehearsing, reviewing Psalm 13 that was hidden in their heart. So as we come to Psalm 13, what we find is that David's honesty, complete transparency and honesty, ultimately leads to greater transparency and intimacy with God. And so as we look at Psalm 13 this evening, just three brief points. Number one, David's struggle. Number one, David's struggle. Number two, David's supplication. And then number three, David's song. It's okay to struggle. It's just not okay to stay there. It's been a theme as we've seen with our, our psalms, our study of psalms. And what I love about this particular psalm, Psalm 13, is that David's struggle, point number one, leads to David's prayer or David's supplication, which concludes in David's song. Again, these things are all uniquely, distinctly Christian. Looking at these points, another way that you could look at it is simply this. David's fear, David's frustration, David's faith. A more simplified fear, frustration, faith. Point number one is David's struggle that is introduced to us at the very beginning of this psalm. It's, it, it doesn't go from zero to 80. It's already at 80. When you turn to Psalm 13, it's how long, O Lord? This is expression. This is emotional. This is lament. How long, O Lord? Verse 1. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, uh, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Are you counting yet? 
This is four times David says, how long, how long, how long? This is bold. This is direct. This is manly. This is coming directly to your creator and looking him in the face, in faith, respectfully, emotionally, saying, how long, O God? Four times David asks the same question, how long? Verse, long how, verse 1, how long will God forget? How long will God hide, is what he's saying. How long must I be discouraged? And how long must I be defeated? Notice the first how long there. As David is struggling, he is fleshing out in his prayer, in his song. Notice the superscription there. He says, the Psalm 13, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. This song is to go straight to the top. This is for the chief musician. This is not just out of my prayer book or out of my diary. This is to be sung in the church. This is to be sung among God's people. This is to be sung as a song of remembrance unto the Lord. Well, that first, how long, how long will God forget? David here appears to us to be a, a small child, a child who's looking for his father's face. And the first expression of how long, O Lord, is David's expression of how long will you forget me? Now, forgetting is, is not intentional. It's unintentional. David here asks the Lord, how long are you unintentionally forgetting me. I do not feel as if you're hearing my prayers. Well, why is that? Well, we don't know, the, as usual, the, the full background of what David is going through here, but one thing we do know is that it's absolutely crushing him, physically, spiritually, psychologically. And so as he turns to God in the dark night of his soul, he asks himself, Lord, how long will you forget me? There's a feeling of being a child who is not adopted, but a child who's been abandoned. Friends, we experience this, don't we? Some of you have experienced at different times of your life a dark tragedy, a dark night of the soul. And in your grief and in your brokenness and in your tears, you turn in your prayer life and all you can offer up to the Lord is simply, how long will this continue? How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? And the reason we ask it like David is, how long will you forget me? Is, is you seem to have forgot me because I'm still going through this. This thing is crushing me. This thing is absolutely, absolutely crushing me physically, spiritually, and emotionally. But the second how long, David asks, is a little bit more direct. Not only how long will you forget, verse 1, but how long, David is essentially saying, will you hide from me, O God? Here David is going straight to the heart of the matter. He feels as if God has abandoned him. There's a difference in forgetting and abandoning. There's a, there's a difference in forgetting and forsaking, you could say. To forget is absent-minded. To forget is unintentional. So David starts off on the on-ramp there, but then he goes straight to a more direct approach and says, how long will you forsake me, O God? To forsake is to intentionally abandon. And what David is saying is, I feel that you have abandoned me, O God. And then David, secondly, thirdly, number verse 2, the, the third how long, how long must I continue to be on repeat, to be discouraged? And then fourthly, how long must I continue to be defeated? Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever felt like this? Uh, I'm sure you have. While this is a one-way dialogue, this is a preaching session, 
uh, I'm sure that as you're sitting there, your mind is going back in times and chapters of your life where you've experienced dark nights of the soul, where you've asked these same questions. And maybe you turn to Psalm 13 and you said, Lord, how long will this sorrow continue? How long will I continue to experience and to feel forgotten, forsaken, discouraged, defeated? Now, when we look at the Psalms and the Scriptures as a whole, one thing we find is this, is that this Psalm and these questions are not unique to David. And I, in my study, came up with a long list. In fact, it was so long, I just set that to the side and said that would take the rest of the sermon to simply chronicle how many times in Scripture that this specific question is asked. It's asked repeatedly in the Psalms. It's also asked, interestingly enough, in the book of Zechariah and also the book of Isaiah by the angel of the Lord. The question, how long? It's also asked, by, again, by David in Psalm 22. And it's also asked by the true and greater David as he turns to his father and says, How long, O Lord, will you forsake me? Will you abandon me? As we see Christ forsaken and abandoned, on the cross. It's a great study, and I would give you the challenge to maybe study the scriptures with this phrase of the question, how long will this, will this continue? Well, Psalm 9, verse 18, we've already seen that David in our previous study has simply given us this reminder where David says, the needy shall not always be forgotten. Well, here David needs to hear himself. He needs to go back in his own prayer journal a couple of pages back in this question of coming to God. And he needs to remind himself of his own resolve in experiencing it in another situation that the needy will not be abandoned. The needy shall not always be forgotten. And what we're trying to say is this. David is clearly a man of faith. He is a great man of faith. And what he's experiencing here with these how long questions is this key principle. And I hope that it will be applied for us even this evening that God's delays do not reflect God's deficiencies. God's delays in answering our prayer, and when we say how long, God's delay in his timing and all of that, his timing is not our timing. But because his timing is not our timing does not mean there's a deficiency in our sovereign God. We have a limited perspective, and he has an ultimate perspective. A day unto the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as unto a day. We are limited creatures who are bound by time, not so with the God of ages, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is, he is beyond our understanding and our fathomability, our understanding to, to bring him down to our level. But we do need to understand this just with point number one with David's struggle as David is experiencing is that, that God's delays do not reflect God's deficiencies. And so, friend, we must stay away from sinning against the Lord by bring, bringing accusation against him. Bring your questions. God can handle your questions. God can handle your emotions. God can handle your struggles. God, is, God can handle anything you throw at him. But you need to be careful in that you do not bring in a, an accusing spirit and stay in an accusing spirit. Simply refer to Job 38. When Job is done, God simply turns to him and says, Where were you, friend, when I made the foundations of the earth? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? I'm sorry, what did you say? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? And so Job begins to understand, as we're getting ahead of ourselves, a fuller, more divine understanding, a renewed understanding, a reminded understanding of who his great God is. And just because God doesn't answer 
Our prayers, when we want them answered, doesn't mean that he is no longer our God or that he's abandoned us or that there is something deficient in him. Psalm 102 is particularly a prayer of the afflicted. I'm just trying to refer to two or three cross-references that remind us that David is a great man of faith. The Psalms articulate this in different areas. Psalm 102 particularly is a psalm of the afflicted. It'll be a long time until we get there. I just want to read a couple of verses uh, from it. Psalm 102. Verse 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble, O Lord. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Verse 16. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. Notice. He shall hear, he shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. What a beautiful verse. Underline that verse. Highlight that verse if you're in the habit of marking your Bible or taking notes. Just be reminded that the Lord will hear your prayer. He shall not regard the prayer of the destitute as something to be abandoned or something that is annoying to him. He shall not despise their prayer. So friends, let's just remind ourselves that God's delays do not reflect his deficiency or any type of deficiency in his righteousness or his character. We echo with Abraham, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In fact, you could summarize point number one with this. Number one is simply this, we struggle most when we focus inwardly. We struggle most when we lose sight of who our God is and we're looking at the trial exclusively or we're looking at um, it inward. We're looking inwardly uh, too much. Friends, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I would remind us here this evening as saints here at Grace that it is ordained for us. Listen to me, please. It is ordained for you. It is ordained for me that we will suffer persecution. Now, that word persecution could be interchanged with trial, calamity, heartache, you name it. But Paul says this to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, Timothy, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not a maybe. It's not a at some point, possibly, will. Will. So we're not gluttons for it. Like, we're not seeking for it. We're not wanting it. But, friend, just know this. As we've said a phrase kind of... In, in just our teaching recently, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Let's maybe make a connection back to Sunday sermon, Sunday morning sermon, where we talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist experienced very real doubt in the dark night of the soul in Herod's dungeon. And he sent messengers to the Lord, remember. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Hey, let's give John the Baptist, and not to re-preach that message, but let's just give him credit for the fact that he went to Jesus. <laughs> He went to the source. And that's what David is doing here. And I want to remind us here this evening that, friends, all of us who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul says this, Philippians 1, verse 29. He says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only the sovereign gift of salvation to believe on him, but also the sovereign gift of suffering. That's what he says, verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul's in jail writing this, and he says, Church, you may not be in jail right now, but just know that God has ordained to come. Gifts, you could say, there's the gift of salvation, 
But then there's gifts that accompany salvation. What are some of those gifts? All kinds of things. With Christ comes love, joy, hope, peace, the gifts of the Spirit, all types of uh, things, justification, sanctification, glorification. But one of those gifts is persecution and suffering. So as we turn to Psalm 13, what this does is gives us a song to sing. In the dark night of our soul, we find ourselves singing with, with David, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And then we're reminded this is part of what it means to take up our, our cross and to follow after him and to be comforted with the effects of the gospel that all things work together for good to them who love God and to the called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we find ourselves asking this question, the struggling with David, David's struggle, verses 1 and 2, this dark night of the soul, how long, O Lord, be encouraged, be comforted. We're not talking about some type of weird, um, you know, enjoying pain or delighting in pain, but what we are talking about is being encouraged that God redeems the pain. Not one tear is lost. Not one tear is uncounted. God knows every tear that you've cried. God knows every moment that you've experienced, and God will redeem all of it. How does a Steve Jenkins be in the ER and be in the hospital tonight and have any courage or hope? How? Because his cancer or his possible leukemia is the same as maybe somebody right next to him who's got leukemia. Wait a second. I thought, I thought you had God. One man doesn't have God, one man does have God, but both look the same. Here's the difference. All things work together for good to Steve, the called, according to God's purpose. God is working in Steve a greater hope of glory, sanctifying him, pouring out his grace upon him. None of it will be lost. None of it will be unredeemed. It will all be redeemed for the greater glory of God. Our struggle. Secondly, we see David's supplication. David's supplication. We begin to see David's focus moves from inward. Now he's starting to move it upward and outward. And he's beginning to find himself on the road back to God, the, the road back to restoration. Notice what he says in his prayer, verse 3 and 4. He says, Consider me and hear me, O Lord, my God, O Yahweh, my Elohim. Uh, Yahweh speaks of God's promises and provision. Elohim speaks of God's power. Consider me and hear me, O Lord, my God, Yahweh, Elohim. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So what we find here is that in his despair, David turns in prayer to God, crying out. And you can summarize verses 3 and 4 with, with this. Verse 3, remember me, O God. And verse 4, rescue me. O oh God. Verse 3 here, remember me, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Remember me. What's he saying? Well, the phrase there, consider and enlighten, does not mean spiritually, it means physically. David is being so crushed by this circumstance, this trial, that he literally feels as if he's about to die. He's preparing like a song of death. He's asking the Lord to return the light. Not spiritually. There's other psalms that touch on that. If you, if you get into the text here, that's not what this means. Other passages, David has said, Open my eyes, O Lord, that I may behold wonderful things out of your truth, out of your law. And that's speaking of spiritually. Here, David is speaking physically. 
enlighten my eyes, literally give the life and the light back into my countenance. I've lost all energy, vitality. Notice the next phrase. Lest I sleep the sleep of death and my enemies say I prevailed against him. He's crying out to the Lord in his supplication saying, Lord, don't forget me. Lord, please remember me. And then secondly, Lord, rescue me lest his enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. He's asking the Lord to physically rescue him. So we see David's struggle, David's supplication. First point, he's consumed with the trial. Second point, he's beginning to raise his attention, his focus as he cries out to God. And then number three, we see a different David. Who is this David? Is this the same psalm? Is this still Psalm 13? Because in in verses 5 and 6, it's as if David is bipolar. Because that's what the world would call it today. Wait a second, is this the same guy? And the world would just simply say, instead of using the terms of psychology, I'm not to say there are not issues in being bipolar or any of that, but the world would quickly say, well, he's bipolar. And they would give a psychological term to it. But this is issues of the soul. This is soulcology. Everything's not psychology. Before psychology even existed, there was just soulcology, the life of the soul, the matters of the soul, the effects of sin, the effects of despair, the effects of sin and trial all upon the emotions, the affections, the physical, the mental, the spiritual. As we look here at David, what we're finding is soulcology. What do you mean by that? These are matters of the soul. And as David begins to pray, the result of prayer is that his whole everything changes. Now David is not struggling, but because of David's supplication, David now has a song. Notice when verses 5 and 6, he says, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wait, what? Wait, what? Who is this? You've already asked four times. The way this song starts with four how longs, And the way the song ends is weird, but it's distinctly Christian. Friends, let me just tell you, we are weird. We are a weird people, but we are also a distinctly Christian people. What do you mean by that? Well, we're weird just for whatever reason. I'm going to try to explain that, right? Just I'll let you figure that out. We don't want to waste our time unpacking that. But what does it mean to be distinctly Christian? Well, notice our third point is simply this, David's song. What we have in verses 5 and 6 is David's expression of praise to his, his God. In fact, you could say it like this. The sweet singer of Israel has rediscovered his song again. This is what makes uh, part of what makes us weird. This is part of what makes us also distinctly Christian, is that God's people are a praising people. God's people are a singing people. We sing in the dark night of the soul. In fact, singing and song is a part of, just like prayer, how God restores our souls. How else do you explain what happened here last Friday night? Listen, I've been to a lot of funerals. My granddad was a preacher. My dad was a preacher. I grew up not only in a church, but in a funeral home. And I only say that to say I've seen a lot of funerals. I grew up bringing my Legos and my Hardy Boy books under, to play underneath the piano while my mom would play and my dad would lead the singing and then bring the message. I, I'm not kidding. That was a part of how I grew up. But I will tell you, not every funeral is the same. Many funerals, I would tell you the majority of funerals are desperate, mournful, all normal, 
What, what we could understand would be the natural expression of the human experience. But a distinctly Christian funeral is one of worship. It's one of praise. How else do you explain what happened here last Friday evening? It was a distinctly Christian funeral. And just while I'm on this rant, let me just encourage all of our church to go ahead and plan your funeral to be a distinctly Christian funeral. Let it be your last gospel message. Let it be your last hurrah. There will be people at your funeral who will be present there who won't come to church with you on Sunday, who won't come to Bible study with you, who won't come to the men's Bible study, who won't come to the women's Bible study, who won't do anything, but they will come to your funeral because you, you went to third grade together or you used to work together at Sears, they'll come to your funeral. Don't waste that. And part of what that is, is the beautiful song of laments, and the song of hope, and the song of praise. That's what we see here with David. He's at the point of death, and yet he's singing praises unto his God. He has discovered his song again. And so we could ask this question, wait a second, how did this happen? Well, prayer is how it happened. What caused this dramatic turnaround? We'll go back up to verses 3 and 4. His supplication, his time with the Lord, and through the means of grace, through the means of prayer, God's Spirit and God's Word pour out His grace upon David, and David finds himself singing a song of hope. Again, I know I say this, this verse, this phrase out of the song often, but listen, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. And like Christian of Pilgrim's Progress, you will find your heart lifted, his grace poured out upon you, and your heart will be filled with joy and song. But what we see about this song is that this is a song of resolve. Again, God's people are weird in this way, is that they sing through their pain. They sing through their trial. They sing through their struggle. How else do you explain mourning parents singing at, at a graveside of a lost little one? How else do you, how else do you explain multi-generations sitting here singing at the loss of their mother and grandmother? How else do you explain walking through the hospital halls and someone who's afflicted in, in the hospital bed and the preacher comes to visit and they say, Preacher, will you read to me Psalm 23? And then can we sing a song? And so the, the, they begin to lift up their voice unto the Lord. Listen, how else do you explain that? Well, you explain it in that God's people are distinctly a worshiping people. And this song is a song of resolve. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says this. This is a statement of resolve. He says, I will rely upon my God. Verse 5, he says, but I have trusted in your mercy, said, I have trusted in your covenantal love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. In other words, David is saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do through this. But I know of your covenantal love. I know you will not abandon me. I know you will not forsake me. And my heart shall rejoice in your physical salvation and spiritual salvation. This is unwavering confidence that David begins to express and to tease out and to unpack in his prayer with his God. Secondly, another aspect of this song is that it is a song that says, and not only will I rely upon God, but I will rejoice in God. Verse 6 he says, I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. How, how is David able to count his blessings when he's at the darkest night of the soul? Well, friends, that's what grace does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit begins to remind us of all that he's provided for us, all that he's done for us. I think the problem with us is that our memories are too short. 
our memories are too short. Think about how faithful and good God has been to us. The problem is, is we, we forget it. So a second encouragement I would give to you, friend, is, is have a prayer journal. Have a journal where I'm not telling you to write down things that you don't want to write down, but I would say this. There will come a day where you pass away and leave off the scene. And going back to the whole funeral conversation, and people who come behind you will, uh, will wonder, you know, what was this all about? And what they'll find is, is your expressions of praise to God's faithfulness in the night. God's faithfulness in your trial. God, in fact, you know what? You could preach your own funeral. Hey, preacher, here's Mama's Bible, and here's her prayer journal. Listen, your preacher will, will thank you because he's not going to have to come up with something. Uh, he can begin with what he knows. But what greater thing is there than to say, literally, expressions of praise right out of the life of this individual? That's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. Christians, brothers and sisters here at Grace, let me encourage you to write down the praises of God. Write down answers to prayer. Write down things not for the sake of anyone else, just for you. And when you're experiencing a how long, O Lord, moment, go back and review and rehearse the goodness and the faithfulness of God in your life. By the end of that, I will promise you, you'll be encouraged. You'll be strengthened. You'll say with David, how bountifully, how generously, O God, you have dealt with me. How good you have been to me. Well, as we conclude... Psalm 13, let me just remind all of us that to lament is to be a Christian. Does it mean we're always lamenting? Let me be clear about that. We, we are a people of hope, a people who have a glorious hope. We have a confident hope. Most important, we have a, a living hope because of the resurrection. But turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. Where, where does our hope come from? Does it come through self-helpism? Does it come through self-resolve? Does it come through inspiration from Reader's Digest? Does it come through uh, any number of sources turning on a positive music channel? Where does the Christian's um, confidence and where does the Christian's comfort come from? Well, friends, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, reminds us of our sovereign Savior who went to the cross and said, How long, O Lord, who was, not, listen here, did not only feel abandoned, Friends, let me remind us at the heart of the gospel, he was abandoned. Because as God, God the Father was holy and cannot look upon sin. Our sin, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And his people's sins were placed on his shoulders, and his father turned from him and abandoned him. And because of that, we have a living hope. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, in all things... He had to be made like his brothers, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. And friend, when you find yourself in a how long, O Lord, moment, Run to Christ. I love that song we sing, I run to Christ, I run to Christ. And the, the different phrases that begin to articulate the aspect of the Christian life. Well, friends, when you feel your spirit in despair, you don't know what to pray, you don't know what to sing, you don't know what to do, listen, abide with Christ. John 15, abide in me. Abide in the one 
who himself suffered and was tested and was tempted, and yet he did not fail, and he died our death. He rose again, and because of his resurrection, we are certain in our future resurrection. And may the Lord bless and help and encourage and strengthen our hearts here this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for these different psalms, these psalms that we may not would turn to just if we were, had the habit of, hmm, what should I preach tonight? But as we just go verse by verse through the scriptures, your word, week after week in our different studies, applies and speaks and helps and ministers. Quite frankly, Lord, we trust you to know what we need better than we, what we think we need. And we thank you for the restorative help and grace that Psalm 13 is for us. And Lord, I pray that tonight you will lift up your people, that you will strengthen your people in the gospel as we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I pray a prayer of blessing just over our church that, that you would help us in the, in the hour of trial. Uh, Lord, help us when we do suffer persecution, when there's a very real cost for what it is we claim to believe, say we believe. Would you help us to stand and not retreat? As we'll see in the coming days, Lord, the church, the salt and light of the world must shine, for if we do not, we're the last hope, the only hope of this world, this fallen world. Would you help our salt, Lord, not to lose its saltiness? Would we not be consumed with being sugar and sweet? Lord, would we be salt, which prevents decay in love, graciously? And would you help us to be light, which, is, which not only just says, we don't do that, but here's what we are. Here's what we hope in. Here's the better way. This is the way of death. This is the way of the world. Here's the better way in Christ. Would you help us as Christians to constantly be assessing our lives and saying, God, how can we shine? What is dampening or hindering our testimony? In the hour of trial, of dark night of the soul, would you shine the light of the gospel through us? Will we be ready for that moment? Will we be strong, not in our strength, but in a strength that can only come from Yahweh, our hope being in the Lord? It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.